Hello and welcome back to Scarves Around the Funnel, the podcast dedicated to Heart of Midlothian Football Club, the club with not just the best dressed manager in the league, but probably the most handsome goalkeeper in the league as well. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Bobby's Lamals know that Bonnie. <laughs> Hello, Mark Donaldson. How are you? Well, I'm fine. I'm, I'm fine. Um, so we're, we're a few minutes late in, in recording this because our, our special guest today has just returned from, um, from a trip to Aberdeen with eight of his pals. But he's, he's back. He's, he's here. And we, we forgive him for being a few minutes late. Um, he doesn't have to worry about... Get me a couple of weeks off. <laughs> yeah, I'll get you 14 days off. How yeah. are you, Craig Gordon? I'm good, thanks, you. Uh, we're good. We're we're good. Thank you for having. Thank you for doing this, and thank you. Thank you for yeah, being. What an introduction! I enjoyed that. <laughs> so, do you think you are the most handsome goalkeeper at the football club? Well, no, I meant in Scotland. Just oh, in, just... wow! You started with Robbie, going Robbie. You're the. You're so well dressed. You start this one with <laughs> my God, you're beautiful, Craig. <laughs> what, what are we going to do? Flattery, I'll get you everywhere. Well, I've got a smaller nose than Bobby, so that's a good start. <laughs> <laughs> Pinocchio's got a smaller nose than Bobby. But Goodness. for the COVID test, then that's absolutely perfect. So Bobby doesn't, <laughs> doesn't that even feel that it. <laughs> so, thank you for coming on, Mr. Craig Gordon. And I guess we'll just start off with how how are things being not just back at Hearts, but being back at training finally, and I guess feeling like a footballer again. <laughs> Yeah, it's been a been a long time, but it's it's nice to to finally get back out there. We're still training our small groups at the moment, so haven't really been part of the whole squad yet. That's going to happen in the the weeks to come. But at, at the moment, it's it's been good just to get back out there. I've been training with the goalkeepers, training with, with Paul Gallagher, and uh, just getting back to to doing the things that we, we love doing and, and doing a bit of goalkeeping work has has been been really nice just to get back out there. Has it been, or has it felt like you've never been away? Um. Yeah, in certain aspects. Um, obviously, very strange times at the moment with what we're having to go through in terms of testing, getting our temperatures taken. Everything is done outside. We arrive in our training kit. We leave straight off the, the training field. All gym sessions are getting done in a controlled way where they can disinfect all the apparatus in between sets. So it's it's really quite quite different in terms of the way football training's ever been done mm. um, so everybody's just adjusting to that getting all the protocols in in place and making sure we're we're sticking to all the rules and making sure we we stay safe and, and try and keep everybody away from it and, and make sure we can train really hard and get ready for the season so from from that aspect it's, it's totally different but there's a, still a, a few familiar faces from from before and managing to to speak to, to a few of them, and, and that, that's quite nice. It, it does feel like a, a good place to be at the moment. Everybody is really looking forward to the season and, and getting ready for it. We got quite a few questions from, mainly from Twitter, from a few people. So we'll we'll sprinkle these in as we go. So I'll start with one we got from HMFC Media at Home is the account, and they said, "What was the main factor in joining Hearts over other clubs when you came back?" Um, because it's Hearts and because that's where I started. That's the team I supported as a boy and um, the the draw to come back to Hearts at this stage of my career. But I still feel as if I've got a lot to give for quite a few years um, yet. So I'm I'm looking forward to the, the challenge. I would have obviously much preferred to have been in the, the Premier League and, and 
trying to do as well as we, we could there. But there's still a, a, an interesting project on the, on the go and there's a lot of new things happening at the club. There's the new manager coming back also. Um, and, and knowing that the people that I did there was was part of the reason but as soon as I, I spoke to Robbie and, and he said what he, he wanted to try and put in place then, then I, I knew I wanted to, to come back to Harps and, and be part of that from the very beginning and um, it was a, a nice stage in, in my career to to do that to, to come back as I say still feel I've got a, an awful lot more to give and hopefully help some of the, the younger guys at Harps come through as well now, it might not sound like it if you listen to our show, but we actually put lots of preparation into each episode of Around the Funnel. So I messaged Robbie oui. Nielsen and said, look, don't you start. Just <laughs> stick, stick with us. Come on. <laughs> I messaged Robbie and said, um, any funny stories we can bring up from his first spell that you can remember? No, ultimate professional. He was always really quiet in the dressing room. So that's not off to a good start. So I said to the wife... Do you remember going on that trip to Spain with Tynecastle Boys Club? Because her brother and you, Graham Hare, and yourself yep. um, played together for Tynecastle Boys Club. And you, you went to Spain. And she's like, oh, there were some naughty boys there. I said, oh, what did they do? She goes, oh, they, they used to steal things from stores. And I'm like, did Craig? Well, no, because he was one of the good ones. Yanni might have done. Neil Janchik, who was on that trip. So we're not our research into your <laughs> stories and naughtiness from your past hasn't delved anything up. Why? Well, that's not good enough. Well, there's what about London Hearts? Did message? It's not really a naughty story, but um, this is London Hearts. Obviously, run the the excellent website with all the the stats on Hearts, and they said a story yeah, very we good. heard. A place to go to for all the stats. I yes. do look them up now and again when I need to find things out. <laughs> it's very useful. Very useful yeah. as a commentator. Um, but they said, a story we heard in Bordeaux is that you got dropped from your school team for being a bit flash. If you were winning by a few goals, you'd try to make your saves by tipping the ball onto the woodwork. Nah, I'm not having that. No? <laughs> nah, nonsense. <laughs> Just because I was getting loads of saves. Actually, the school team wasn't very good to start with and we were getting beat 5, 6, 7 nil all the time. So I was making loads of saves, so it was good practice. But by the time I left uh, high school then, we uh, we actually we ended up winning the league, so I don't know how how that happened. We didn't have very many great players, but we we somehow managed to end up winning the league. But I was always very busy. I never kept a clean sheet in the entire season. Wow! Um, and we still managed to win the league. The the one game <laughs> that I got called up to Hearts under 18s and couldn't play, Gary Mealy deputised, who's now um, at Livingston. And they kept they kept the only clean sheet of the season, and it still <laughs> reminds me this to this day that the only one clean sheet that we had in that one that season that we won the league, and it belonged to him, uh, and I played the entire season. So that is that is one that he has up on me. So what about Tynecastle Boys Club? That was a right good side you played in, wasn't it? Because Yanni and Mid, what a player he was, and. I remember speaking to Craig Levine many years back, and and you as well. If he'd played in a different league where midfielders got more time on the ball. His ability, he could have done anything. Is that fair? Yeah, probably one of the, the most talented players I've come across in, in my whole career. Um, certainly as a young player coming through, was the most skillful, most talented, one of the best passers of the ball. Uh, his left foot was a, an absolute dream. Um, yeah, it, it was a great shame that he never made more of his career Um I, mean, I think you, you speak to, to Darren Fletcher, who went to school with him and, and 
coming through his school team, he was always the the best player. Yet Darren went on to have mm. one of the well, one of the great careers of any Scottish player uh, in recent times, and um, he would openly admit that that Yanni was was a better player than him all the way through the, the underage groups, and uh, that was the guy that everybody thought was was going to go on and, and be the one of the the great Scottish players of his time, and I just sadly wasn't able to to fulfil that. Um, but yes, yeah, certainly in the, the youth age groups, he was the he was the one standout that, that was an incredible talent at that stage. So on the subject of of um, when you're coming through as a young player, I've got a couple of questions that I'll mould into one here. HMFC Shadow Project mentioned what advice would you give to aspiring goalkeepers that you wished you'd have. Um, and Mrs. Cupcake79 says, I'd love to hear what advice he has for young kids who aspire to be goalkeepers. Several local Balerno boys really look up to him and want to be keepers too. So what would you say to, to any young lads that fancy obviously trying to, to emulate what you've done? It's all about practice and putting in the time, um, spending time in the goal, making saves. I know a lot of people will say that the, the, the position is changing. It's much more to do with um, playing out from the back and, and using your feet. And to an extent, they're right. But the, the principles of, of being a goalkeeper are to keep the ball out the net. And that is the, the main thing that uh, I think certain young players are, are going away from. Um, and, and they have to, to get back to, to doing that, being in the goal, making saves uh, and spending time in there, getting things wrong and, and putting it right by themselves. Watch the TV, watch what other goalkeepers do uh, and study that. Take a, an interest in, in what's going on and know about your other goalkeepers that are playing that you watch on TV and, and take tips from them and, and try and emulate them. Go out there, practice the things that you see on TV and, and try and build that into your own game. And I think that's, that's what the, the young players have to do. To, to try and progress but the, the main thing is, is spending the time you know, young boys have got so many other things that they, they can be doing um, other than playing football there's so many distractions to, to having that, that time available to just practice your football practice your goalkeeping but that, that is going to make such a, a huge difference the, the amount of hours you spend out on the field as a, as a young player 13 years ago you left Hearts to join Sunderland. What's been the biggest change? Is it the introduction of, of as Pep Guardiola does at Man City with, with Ederson, where at times he's pretty much a centre-back, and I know he got caught out recently, but is that the one thing you've really had to work on? Um, now you're back at Hearts over the inter, intervening period since you, you first left and you went to Sunderland and played at Celtic as well, your your footwork, has, has that been the one thing that you've had to work on because the game has changed? Yeah, I would say so. And there's so much within the, the game that's changed over the, the period of my career in terms of even like sports science, diet, the, the amount of things that are, are now drilled into the small details to make sure everybody is getting every extra percent out of their body they, they possibly can. Um, rule changes have changed in that mm. time with, with goalkeepers and when I was playing youth football we could pick up back passes that's how long I've been playing <laughs> and then there was four steps and then there was six seconds yep, and, and all yep. this has all changed we've got the penalty situation now you've got one foot on the line so they're always changing the rule rules for goalkeepers um, but in terms of tactical yeah that is the, the major thing 
that has changed is the, the goalkeeper becoming a bit of a playmaker and starting moves off, which is no, it's something that I've really taken on board and tried to, to work at, tried to understand what the managers are looking for and something I have had to, to really invest time in researching, making sure I've got a grasp of exactly how it works and, and now feel very confident in being able to, to tell other people how, how it works and, and how the, the systems and the, the patterns of play can, can work out for the, the team's benefit and uh, try to, to put that into practice the, the best I can. I, I feel as if I get a little bit unfair stick in terms of how well I can carry that out. I think I carry it out better than the, the public perception, but um, there's nothing much I can do about that. I certainly managed to, to do it in a, a very successful Celtic team for a, a number of years to, to play in that way and do enough to, to stay in the manager's team for, for quite a few seasons. So I couldn't have been that bad at it. Speaking of, sorry, Laurie, I just wanted to follow up on that with, with Craig. Everyone's got an opinion now, but everyone's got a platform to put their opinion, whether you're a commentator, whether you're a football, whatever they are. 99% of these so-called experts that say, oh, he could improve his footwork, they're not goalkeepers. They don't know how goalkeepers do. 99% of people that complain about commentators aren't commentators. We don't complain about people who work in offices or, or, or whatever. Is it harder being in the public spotlight now? Because back in the day when you left Hearts, and by the way, when this episode goes out, it will be 13 years to the day that you left for Sunderland. Is it hard to forget about what all the gobshites are saying, the so-called experts, the keyboard warriors? those with their knickers round their ankles while they're typing away. <laughs> Thanks for that. Um, no, I think you just use it as, as motivation. You turn it round and, and go out there and, and work as hard as possible to try and put it right. And, but you, you can't change their mind and there's no point trying, no matter what I say, even saying this on here and yeah. I'm sure it'll get picked up and it'll be in the press and then you won't change their mind. This interview, me, whatever I say, it won't change their mind. You could show them all the stats from all the games where there was 80-90% pass completion from myself or anything you want. They've made up their mind. That's what they think and that's what they're going to stick to and that's the, the perception that has grown. And no matter what I say or do, that won't change. So I just have to accept that and go out and train and play as well as I can and that's, that's all you can focus on. It's just that old one to be control the controllables and all I can control is, is going out and trying mm -hmm. to perform to the best of my ability. And if there's one thing I do know is that the, the Scottish mentality, if there's one thing they can pick up on that's a negative, then that's what they're mm -hmm. going to focus on. And the the positives and that you could say do tend to, to get missed. If there's a, a negative to, to say, then, then that is the kind of Scottish way to, to say what somebody can't do rather than, than what they can do. So Mark's talked about 13 years ago your departure from Hearts but I'll go back a little bit further so almost 21 years ago October 1999 this is when you signed for the Hearts senior side Jim Jeffries manager at the time and yeah, Gilles Rousset still at the club, albeit I think he was injured when you first signed. Antti Niemi would sign a couple of months later. What was it like stepping into, obviously, your boyhood heroes and having guys like that around, even if, obviously, they weren't available maybe to play at that time? And I think Niemi would have been number one when you were first training regularly after a couple of months. What was it like having those calibre of players around? Yeah, that was absolutely vital in the 
my development and then being able to watch these guys training. Um, there was a big group of goalkeepers uh, at Hearts at that point. You also had Miles Hogarth was there, Roddy McKenzie, uh, Scott Strang, and all the all the guys all helped each other. Um, particularly Roddy and Miles, but but mostly Roddy. He would be the one that would look after looked after me the most and, and would even do extra sessions. At that point, you wouldn't have um, goalkeeping coaches every single day. Uh, so he would sometimes stay behind and, and do uh, an extra kicking session or whatever it may be uh, with with me to try and help me. He obviously seen something in me that he thought I could progress and, and be a, a good goalkeeper for the club. And, and he was the one that would, would spend the most time with me, watching anti-train and, and play to the standard that, that he did. He was you know, unbelievable goalkeeper, the reflexes that he had. And that was something that I tried to copy. Um, same as Jules, his handling ability was as good as any I've, I've ever seen. Incredible pair of hands. And just to be able to train with these guys at that level, at 15, 16, right through, was invaluable to, to me improving as a player. I think that was the time where I improved the most for playing it uh, and training with, with those types of guys. It was those two or three years made a, a huge difference uh, in terms of my ability at that point. Before we go on to your debut, Craig, I want to ask about your dad and how big a part he played. Because some kids, um, defiant, don't want to do what mum and dad say. Other kids, well, like your dad should always be your hero as a, a, as a kid. That's the way I look at it. My dad is my hero. I'm not sure about yourself. But yeah, having absolutely. him as a, a, yeah, exactly. Having him as a former goalkeeper in the East of Scotland League and, and a really good teacher, um, was it something you thought, yeah, be- because of the respect you had for your father um, when you were kind of starting out, is it something you were like, right, I want to be a goalkeeper? Was there ever that kind of defines, well, I want to be a striker. If dads want me to be a goalkeeper, I don't want to do that. How, how did that come about? I just couldn't run. That's why I went and goals. It wasn't really much. I would much rather to be a striker or a winger or somebody scoring goals from midfield. That would be great. But I physically couldn't do that from quite an early age. I realised that uh, there's a lot of guys that were, were quicker, could run up and down the park far better than I could. And from about primary five onwards, I was in goals. And I actually enjoyed that. The, um, it's a strange, strange feeling that you, that you get from stopping somebody scoring a goal was, was always the one that I enjoyed the most um, rather than, than scoring. So from that point on, I knew I was was going to be a goalkeeper because uh, yeah, stopping somebody scoring was, was giving me the, the most enjoyment and I felt I was giving the most to the team and giving the team a chance to win games by, by making saves and, and that was something that, that I enjoyed. What was the one thing your dad said to you that stuck with you to this day? Don't be a goalie. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't want me to be a goalie. Don't end up in goals. Go and be a striker. But I... Uh, <laughs> So maybe that was why I defied and went back in goals for the same as him. Yeah, he, he, he would rather I wasn't, but yeah, he's he's been great. Um, goes to so many of the the matches, always supported me, and I think that that's important for for any child to to have that support, you know, and to to get to the top, to sing the national anthem at Hamden, you look up and and your family's there, and and for me to watch my dad mm. when when you're standing up there singing the anthem, that that's the the, the most proud that, that I can be to to know that he's there watching me and, and I'm I'm out there trying to do my best because 
you know, the, the, you're, you're trying to do the best for the fans, but each player knows that you, you're working for, for yourself and for your family and to make them proud. And that's the thing you do first and foremost before anything else. So what's your what's your memories of your debut at Livingston, 19 years old, Gilles out injured. I think Robbie got hurt as well. Uh, and, and you were the only one kind of left um, nervous or what, what was the deal before the Livy game? It was very last minute uh, getting the call. Uh, Roddy had played the previous week um, and I think he got like a thigh strain. Uh, was touch and go whether he was going to be able to, to play and he had a fitness test in the morning. Um, uh, and that was when I knew that he was, was not going to be starting. So I only had a, a few hours. I was scrambling for tickets to try and get everybody to come and watch <laughs> the game. Um, and actually, I got man of the match from the, the Livingston fans, and yes, have, I knew uh, it. I knew it. The little trophy from from that day um, made a few good saves and a, a one-one draw. Um, the Livingston scored in the first half, um, and I think Phil Stamp scored. I yeah. think in the at the beginning of the second half, and and I had a few decent saves in in the second half to keep it at one-one, and we we got away with the draw. What about your second game? <laughs> oh dear. Can I talk the third game? Yeah, as long as yeah. you mention the second game, you can no, talk about the no. third game. No, I don't want to talk about that one. I've tried to erase that from my memory. That that wasn't wasn't quite so good. <laughs> um, just off the back of a winter break, Roddy had broke his thumb um, in the training camp. I think we were in Portugal um, and came back. We'd signed Tepi Moylan in just a few days before, but <laughs> I, I managed to to get the nod for, for the Scottish Cup game and yeah it didn't go very well we were <laughs> three or four down by half time yeah I, I, you, I were three, you were three you were four down, four down after half an hour yeah yeah it wasn't good um, <laughs> I thought that might have been my, my last chance but uh, I actually took a while after that before I, I got my, my next mm. game um, it was the, the following season Tepe played the, the rest of that season and the, probably the first nine or ten games of the, the following season before I, I got the chance to go back in. Uh, I think it was against Partick Thistle. Are we? Am I right? Have you done the homework on that? Because that was a better game. I think we won 4-1. We just we just got we went as far as the second game and we were like, oh, Christ. Yeah, I didn't <laughs> want to talk about that. Third, I think Andy Kirk scored two or three that day, actually, at Partick. So that was a, that was a much better game. And then I... Continued on to play ninety nine games in a row after that one. Oh, look, you, you've you've been on London Hearts a lot by the time. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no, I remember that because I got sent off in the ninety ninth game. Ah. And I couldn't play. Okay, couldn't play a hundred games in a row. I never have since. Really? Nope. There you go. Wow. <laughs> um, that was your third game, by the way. Craig Gordon, Robbie Nielsen, Patrick Kuznarbo, and Stephen Presley, Kevin McKenna, Neil McFarlane, Scott Severin, Paul Hartley. Mark de Vries, Andy Kirk, and Jean-Louis Valois. And Andy Kirk did indeed score, what do we reckon? Did we say three goals in that game? Uh, four, one, twice. Andy Kirk scored twice, de Vries and Simmons. That's when, yeah. And then at least two. So your target now is to play 100 consecutive games and for the first time in your career in your second spell with Hearts. That sounds like a good plan. Yeah, let's try and do that. Quickly talk about some European football. We're going to get on to some of the Romanov era stuff soon. I'm sure Mark will 
have some things to say about that. But uh, Blair Messer message and said, um, which set of saves uh, does he regard as better? The trio versus Sparta Prague or Ferenc Varos? Hopelessly, hopelessly abandoned by defence for both and had the ball not spun kindly would have never ended in a goal for Ferenc Varos. Also, what was his take on the celebrations after beating Basel? So, we spoke to Robbie about about these games, and you can mention the saves. But what was that overall experience like? You know, playing these sort of teams. Yeah, that was that was a great time um, playing really good quality opposition and getting good results mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, against really top quality European teams that have been doing that and have been doing it ever since. Really, they've all been in Europe and still, you know, they're they're there every season. You see these names coming up. Um, so it was top quality teams we were playing and, and we, we really had a good group of players, a good mentality and we, we just never really knew when we were beat. We were always managed to stay in games regardless of, of how good the, the opposition were. We, we managed to stay in and, and more often than not we'd nick a goal uh, and we could defend. So that was that was a, a great time going on to the, the saves that you mentioned. I would probably say... Um, Actually, Bobby Zamal was there that day. He uh, he told me the other day oh, that he, he remembered watching that game. He was uh, he was with Sparta Prague as a as a youngster then. So uh, that was he, he watched a good game then. I was was quite pleased with with that performance. <laughs> um, but it was that was that was a great time. We, although we're kind of changed managers a few times. Craig Levine to, to John Robertson, um, in that that sort of Europa campaign. Um, so, so there was a little bit of change behind the scenes, but certainly the, the games were the, the ones that, that I'll remember. It was, it was really special times, and, and we were doing it very consistently, getting into Europe you know, most seasons, um, and then doing something when we got there to get to that group stage. You know, is is so difficult now. Um, it just shows you how good a team that really was to to get that far. Then, one of the other sides you did very well against um, was Bordeaux in 2003 and I, I just quickly popped it in my head because one of these questions that you sometimes get asked is what was the best goal you saw in person I'm going to take you to the Tynecastle game Albert Riera I take it that goal took that shot took you by surprise like it did everyone else who was sitting around me at Tynecastle yeah it was it was a, a strike but even looking back at it now I, I still that would be the one game I'd like to, to come back and have another shot at that to, to try and keep it out. I made a good effort at the time and I always think I, I got a slight touch to it if I could have just kept that out, how different maybe the, the scoreline would have been if we could have frustrated them for longer because they were a, a fantastic team and, and we were set up to try and defend that night and, and that really, you know, in the first half, losing that goal really took the, the sting out of the game and, and brought them right back into things. So, uh, that is one that I always kind of regret not managing to keep out. Whether I, I would still be able to do that now, I'm not so sure because the movement on the ball was uh, that was, was nuts. quite incredible. But uh, yeah, I would I would love another another shot. If you take me back and, and put me in and give me another shot of trying to keep that out, I would I would take you take you up on that. I always think it's interesting, Craig, that it's usually goalkeepers that say, "Can we go back and, and change something?" Forwards don't normally. I'm lucky enough to work with Shaka Hislop and. And Shaka always says he wished he'd worked more on his footwork and his movement as he became an older goalkeeper because he still blames himself for not getting across quick enough to the Steven Gerrard strike, um, which I think was the same day as when Hearts beat Gretna in the cup final. 
um, he was playing in Cardiff for West Ham against Liverpool, and, and he feels that if he'd worked a bit more on his footwork um, and, and and his kind of push off, that he he might have been able to catch it. You don't really see strikers saying, "Oh, if I'd done that," or or whatever. Is that just part and parcel of of being in the goalkeepers' union? You're probably harder on yourself than than outfield players are. Yeah, I think that's a mentality thing, and, and the type of of person that is a goalkeeper, you're you're always self critical. You're always trying to to do that extra little bit, the the perfectionist. Then you're trying to to do everything you possibly can to keep the ball out. And there's, there's saves sometimes you make, and you you don't really know how you've managed to keep them out. And there's there's other goals that go in. And you think just maybe if I'd done this or that, that the outcome could have been different. And and that is one of the hardest parts of, of being a goalkeeper because you can always do something else. You could always have made a different decision to stay back, go forward, to move your feet, die earlier, to try and anticipate. There's always there's so much that goes into to making any save or, or conceding any goal that there's always something along the line that you, you maybe could have done different and to not beat yourself up about that and yeah. take it personally is, is a difficult thing to have to deal with. Uh, and that is the, the mental side of, of being a goalkeeper and having to let that go. But there, there's definitely a few goals throughout all the all of our careers where we would like to, to go back and, and do something different. And you know, that was one for me. I, I do remember the goal you're talking about with, with Shaka as well. And yeah, it was a, an incredible strike. And obviously one that he feels nobody's blamed him for it, but it's obviously no. one he feels he, he maybe could have mm. done something else with. Before we got into the Romanov era... Because there's a lot of questions about that. Um, I don't need an answer. I just want we've mentioned the Albert Riera thing. I want to point out your debut, your European debut was against Bordeaux, uh, away from home when four and a half thousand Jambos were there, and uh, and you kept a clean sheet, um, and Mark de Vries scored late on. So that's that's not a bad um, debut to have in in European competition. Simple question to begin with. Um, under Vladimir Romanov, with the millions of trialists that came in. Were there ever any that you had no idea who they were and you thought, are, are you a player or did you even know their name? It just became the norm that there was just all these different players kind of came and went. They would maybe be here for a few weeks, few months even, and then there'd be another group come in and you would never really get to know the whole squad because it was so big. Uh, there was so many games going on on all the pitches outside and um, some would train with the first team. Some would be kept entirely separate and do training games by themselves. So you never really knew who everyone was and what they were there for, whether they were there to sign, whether you know, they were there to try and and, and bring in uh, as projects to, to develop or, or what the, the script really was, what these all these players were, were going to be there for. Um, it was a, was a strange time, but one that we remarkably managed to to navigate pretty well as a as a team as as players and how we managed to keep that all together to, to still be relatively successful on the park. Now, when we had Robbie on a, a few weeks back, or as you know, I have to call him Gaffer. Um, he was saying under Romanov, he kind of feared for his place. Sebastian Schemmel, remember him, former West Ham player, came in, played a couple of friendly games. Did you fear that with them strengthening in most of the positions that they might be looking to to strengthen and, and get a, a well-known foreign goalkeeper in as well? Yeah, there's a, there's a few goalkeepers uh, came and went on, on trial as well. Um, and yeah, you, you just didn't know. 
Um, I mean, I, I remember nearly getting replaced during a, a game against Rangers at Tynecastle. I think Nacho Novo scored a, a deflected strike and the the coach thought that, that I had let it in deliberately to, to let Rangers win the game. And I, I could never do anything like that. But from that was just the, the way they thought was that people were out to get them and people had been maybe bought off. And the whole atmosphere was just really weird you, you never knew what the coach was thinking what the board were thinking what was going to happen next who was going to be in a job out a job they could easily sack a coach or a player at any stage we'd seen Lithuanian players come in and leave abruptly so you never really knew where you stood and that that was it was quite a strange feeling for, for a number of players. I, I guess I was fairly lucky in terms of being an internationalist at that point and knew that that was unlikely to happen to me. But, but certainly the, the rest of the players, it was a, a very strange time. So that would have been Edward Malafieve, wouldn't it, that that Rangers game? Um, do you know what? I'm not even sure. It might have been Korobochka at that time. The game, um, uh, the Novo games. How did... So how because it's it's actually we had some tweets from people mentioning that game like what happened because obviously there's been lots of stories have come out about it. So so what did happen there? Did you know something in the game that I seen that Jamie McDonald got sent to to warm up and I wonder what the the reason was. I wasn't injured. Yeah, we'd we'd lost a goal, but um, I just uh, yeah it could have been a another Kepa situation where I was refusing to come <laughs> off because. I, I hadn't done anything, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it's that, there's things like that did did go on, and yeah, I I didn't really know what was happening at the time, and it was Jamie that said to me after the game, says I was nearly coming on there halfway through that, uh, they thought you chucked the goal in, I was like, oh right, well, <laughs> no, I don't think it was that much I could have done about it, um, but that that was that was the thought process at the time that, that I was possibly going to get get replaced, but thankfully managed to, to stay on the pitch, but. I don't think um, I don't think we got a positive result out of that game anyway. No, I just had a check. So yeah, it was one yeah. nil Rangers, and it was Edward Malafieve, one of one of many who would who would yeah. take hearts around that time. So, so just because you're talking about obviously some of the the unrest, we got um, a tweet from Jonathan Slatter who said, "How did you feel about being made captain after Elvis left following the Rickerton three incident?" Um, and on the Rickerton three, so how did that all start? Was it was was it Presley who kind of, I guess, made the call, and it was just a solidarity between the players that you had to sit together as a group to to kind of stand up for what you you felt was was going wrong at the time. Yeah, I mean, Elvis came to the, the dressing room and told some of the the more experienced players what he was was about to do. Um, uh, and, and was looking for for players to support that, and obviously been one of the the bigger players and one of the assets at the club at the time. We felt that we could have a little bit of power to be able to to change the club's direction for the positive and to try and help the situation. Um, ultimately, it probably didn't do that, but certainly from from that point, our our hearts were in the right place to try and help the club to to move things forward and and improve because we felt we had a great squad. 
we just needed that little bit of stability to be able to really push on and, and challenge um, Rangers and Celtic at that point for, for the honours. And, and that was, it was more out of a little bit of frustration because we really felt that we were, were so close to being a very good team that, that could challenge at the top of the league. But with, with everything going on, it was, it was making that a little bit more challenging for us. And then we just felt that we could perhaps help put the, the club on a, a sure footing by, by being a little bit more stable and, and trying to, to go on and achieve that. So we, we actually didn't we didn't actually ask Robbie this. He, he offered his opinion on this um, when we were talking about the Romanov time. It's the, the question that gets asked and you, you can't give a, a sure answer because no one knows really, but in your opinion, if Mr George Burley had remained in charge, would you and the, the rest of the team went on, gone on to win the league back in 05-06? I think we'd have got very close. Um, we we were an excellent team. We we didn't have a big squad, so that would have been difficult to, to keep that going towards the end of the, the campaign. Um, as it did, getting towards the cup final, the team was very tired. You could see that in the, the, the final against Gretna. Um, but you just never know. We, we, I think we would have been close, um, certainly for a, a, year, a lot of years after that. That was a, a big disappointment, a big frustration. And um, my time at Hearts was, was not going that little bit closer than, than what we did that year. Just so you know, Robbie said he didn't think you would. Uh, I think mm-hmm. he mentioned something about not having enough strength and depth and goals. That, was, that, was that what he said, Mark? <laughs> no. You can't compliment someone at the start and say he's like handsome and then halfway through slam him. That's not how this works. <laughs> of course I'm joking. It was right back was the issue. <laughs> yeah, Rob didn't get that many games to start off that season. He came back into the team yep. um, further along the line. So it was uh, ended up being a, a, a good season for him. But they, they did actually play a few different right backs at times. The tackle in the cup final. Yeah. That, that, that Robbie made. What do you recall of it? Well, I remember it being a, a one-on-one. I came rushing out. Um, um, I'm not sure who, who even it was that was was through one-on-one, but they, they managed to, to go around me. I'll say I forced them wide into Robbie's area because <laughs> I saw him recovering. He did say that, um, to be fair. He yeah, he did. Uh, so uh, he, he managed to get back, um, which was... Is great. That's exactly what you want from your defenders to, to come back in. Maybe I make a save and he could clear it, but the guys skipped round me very nicely and, and looks to be rolling it in the empty net for, for what would have been the equaliser at the time. And uh, Robbie appears from, from nowhere to, to get his toe in and knock it away for a corner. It was a, a fantastic piece of defending. I've never given up and, and always trying to get back. And, that, and that's always what you, you got from, from Robbie as a player. That never say die attitude. You give everything for the the cause in every game. What about the penalty shootout? What was your tactic when uh, when facing players in a in a spot kick um, shootout at the end of a game? Yeah, well, I didn't have loads of information uh, on the players. I had a an idea on a couple um, from guys that had taken penalties previously and. Um, James Grady, I knew, had hit a lot fairly central. I tried to, to stay up for, for his, and he still beat me, even though it was, was quite central. He put it high and still managed to score. That was the one I had the, the most information on from his Premier League career up until he, he dropped down there. So 
that was one that I had targeted before the shootout for, for a potential save and I was disappointed when that, that still When Robbie in. spoke to us about Rima and Pajama Man and Golden Sticks, it was mainly to do with outfield players. Well, you can only play 62 minutes. What was the deal with goalkeepers? Did you ever get uh, interfered with by one of Rima's <laughs> Golden Sticks? No, no, that, that did happen. Um, that was... Yeah, that was a sort of weekly occurrence. There was also this white box thing that you would stick every finger in one at a time and it would take a reading and then you would get this graph out and and it would all be in Russian and you wouldn't have a clue what it was saying. And then they would they would translate it and tell you what it meant. And they could be they could have been telling us anything. The, the, this piece of paper made absolutely no sense. It had different colours on it different spikes in all these different areas and yeah that that I remember one day going before uh, a game against Hibs uh, and Edgaris Jankowskis said that he was high risk of, a, of an injury if he played and uh, he didn't play that the this machine had said that he was at too high a risk to play and, and we were I mean Edgaris was at risk every training session and every game of a an injury at his age when he was was there, so I didn't see what the, the difference was leading up to this game and uh, such a big game, but it, it, it denied us of one of our, our best players and, and he didn't play, which was you know very very strange to to us that a machine could put out this reading and, and <laughs> the, the team selection would be based upon that. Been taking the free kick, he tries his luck again, and Rob Jones. Fantastic world-class save from Craig Gordon. Fantastic save. It really is. Absolutely top drawer. Good header from Jones. We're right behind it. It looked in all the way. Absolutely world-class save from Craig Gordon. Quickly going to Scotland. You've, you've mentioned it already in your, your pride, obviously standing out there representing your, your country. I was going to mention, obviously, you're a big fan of Mr Buffon. You wore your shirt in the, the same kind of cut-off sleeve fashion. Jonathan Slatter also messaged us saying, um, how did it feel when players like Buffon started praising you in 2006? Did it give you more pressure? And I'm just going to very quickly quote Mr Buffon who said, Craig is a very, very good goalkeeper. In Europe, he is one of the best and among a group of keepers who can go forward and have a brilliant career. At this stage, he has already done so. Yeah, that was um, you know high praise from, from someone like him. That was... Yeah, uh, nice of him to, to say those words, obviously. I've looked up to him growing up, watching his career coming through Parma and then obviously moving as the, the most expensive goalkeeper in the, the world, which lasted for an eternity, that record. Um, so that that was you know one of my sort of goalkeeping heroes, if you like, that I, I looked up to only sort of a few years older than, than I am, but that was the... Him and, and Casillas coming through as so young um, to, to play in, in such big European games. They were they were the two that, that everybody looked up to uh, at that stage and, and tried to to emulate, tried to copy their their style. So that was that was huge for me, a huge confidence boost to to know that I was being thought of and at those levels. And yeah, can only can only help any player hearing that from from someone like him. Yeah, you made your Scotland debut at twenty one. You've got over 50 caps. Now your heart's most capped Scottish goalkeeper. A lot of highlights, two clean sheets against France. So I'm going to give you a quick two-pronged question. One, what were your main highlights? 
playing for Scotland. And two, we got a message from Andy Dixon who said, do you believe you can still be in Steve Clark's plans even playing in the championship? So two would be, do you still have aspirations to get back in the Scotland team? Um, the two France games, first of all, your first question would, would definitely be up there with the, the highlights. That whole campaign where we, we came so close to, to qualifying, uh, the game at home against Ukraine, um, huge moments in that that campaign and, and some great results and, and still didn't quite manage to qualify. That was the probably the best time for me in a, a Scotland shirt. And, and at the moment, yeah, I still think that I can I can get back into the the Scotland setup. And how many caps is the most capped Hearts player from Caps while they're at Hearts? I think I've got a few more to catch up. But I'll, that's got to be a name. I think, I think is it Elvis? Elvis? I think it's still Presley. I think it is still Presley. Around about 30 mark, and, and I think I've got 20 odd from from the first time. So he's in my sights now. I want to try and, and get back there and, and play some games and then try and catch him. Yeah, I've got Bobby Walker at 29. I think Elvis might have got more, but if it's at Hearts, we'll, we'll check that one up. Um, you were you were talking earlier about people once they make their mind up, that's it, um, and it's it's very hard to to kind of intervene uh, once someone's mind is made up. Uh, if you ask me for two saves from Hearts goalkeepers and all the time I've been watching Hearts, I'd say Henry Smith against Tommy Coyne in the early 90s, which I thought was incredible, and your one from David Clarkson uh, against Motherwell, which I thought was equally, if not better, than, than Henry's. That's from a fan speaking. What would you say your, not most important save is, but your best save that you've made wearing a Hearts goalkeeping jersey is? Jim Hamilton's header, what a save by Craig Gordon to deny David Clarkson. The Motherwell players cannot believe that. That is right out of the top drawer in the 93rd minute. I would agree with you. Um, I would say the the David Clarkson one. Um, And because I actually didn't even see it getting hit, I think it's... uh, I think it might even be Elvis is right in front of me and it, it just comes over his leg uh, and I really didn't see it till, till very late uh, and it's one of those ones that I was talking about earlier that I, once I've saved it I've got no idea how I managed to get that far across my goal that quickly uh, and still managed to keep it out uh, I remember thinking at the time that that hurt you know, it was sore when I landed in the ground that doesn't normally happen you're normally braced ready for mm. the contact but I had made such an effort to get there that when I did hit the ground that it actually hurt and I thinking I've no idea how I've managed to, to save that because the the timing that it took to get past Elvis and, and onto my hand was, was such a short space of time I was almost diving without the expectation of, of managing to save it and the, the feeling when it actually does go round the post and the, the referee blows for full time the, they don't even take the corner which yep. that's just the, the best you can possibly get as a, as a goalkeeper that's like scoring the, the winning goal The injury at, at, at Sunderland, um, before we get to that, I mean, to, to move down, I think it was seven million and two add-ons. Um, I, I think I think I ended up doing a story on Radio 4 just before you'd, you'd completed that to say, oh, there's late interest from Aston Villa, whether that was to get Hearts more money or whether it was bullshit. Was, was there ever any talk that Villa might be a potential alternative um, to, to Sunderland right at the death or were, or were they just using me to try and get someone more money? No, that was true. Um, I think that that was 
I think they actually ended up offering more money, but because of the, the Celtic connection there at the time that uh, Mr Romanoff didn't want to sell to them, so oh. that was never going to be allowed. But they, yeah, they were. They did come in right at the death to try and, and take me there, um, but it was it was already too far down the line with, mm. with Sunderland. When you get to my age, your mind can play tricks. So thank you for clarifying that. A move to Sunderland. Obviously, you do well there, and and there was talk about Man United and Arsenal. Then then you got the injury. What's that like when it's a severe injury like like you got? What, what's going through your head with everything at that stage? Yeah, I mean, I, at first I didn't think it was that bad. Um, you know, I'd I'd had a few little niggling injuries, and then and then that one happened, and. It wasn't until a few months later when I'd tried to come back and things weren't right that I went and saw the specialist out in Sweden and he said it's kind of 60-40 whether you play again, ever. That's when you, you realise that this is, is very, very serious and that the whole probability is you're, you're possibly not going to play again. Um, you don't so, think it was deliberate, do you? The, the collision with Defoe, it was just one of those things? That, or that do you think a, it was... A- but that was on my arm. My arm's fine. It was my knee injury was the big injury. Yes. That, um, that that caused me the the trouble for for two years. The first one was my arm injury, and yeah, that was that was a, a bad challenge. It was I didn't think it was uh, a good challenge. I documented that at the time, but you know that's that's football. These things happen all the time. I'm sure I've made some bad challenges in my time, so that's. That, that is just the way it goes, and and I got injured on that particular occasion. I've had three operations to put it back together uh, on a couple of occasions since, but it it feels good, um, and that's not had too much bearing on the the rest of my career. The the big one was the knee, um, and that was that was when I I was kind of fifty fifty whether I would ever play again, and and that's that's hard to take at that point. You you do a lot of soul searching and um. In the end, I thought I'll give it my best shot, and if I don't play again, then so be it. I'll I'll try everything I possibly can to to play again, go down every avenue, see every doctor I can, get every opinion, uh, and try my best. And if my best is not good enough, then I can hang the gloves up and, and accept that that I gave it my best shot, and my body just wasn't in in good enough shape to play again. But obviously, that was not the case, and you know, don't have to. To think about that anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you left Sunderland in, in 2012 and you know, like you're saying it did maybe seem like your career could be over at that point you did some TV work you were doing some coaching at Dumbarton I think you trained at Rangers as well at one point Robert Russell messaged and said was there any chance of you signing for us during that period or, or were, were you just training with hearts for fitness because I think you did have some time at Tencastle as well training didn't you? Yeah, had a had a week. I'd been at Rangers for most of the the season. Um, they were obviously down the, the leagues at that point. Um, I then asked if I could continue training because I got myself in in good shape and was ready to to try and get a contract somewhere. Um, the the problem being was that I had my injury insurance was going to elapse two years after being out of the game, uh, and if. I did have to make a claim for not being able to play again then then time was running out. So I, I needed to be in the best possible shape to try and get a, a proper contract. There was talk of maybe pays you play and things like that. But the value of the, the injury insurance, I, I had to make sure it was a, as a proper contract that I was going to get paid for a, 
a few years otherwise financially it wouldn't have been worthwhile and it'd have been better to take the the money so it was that was a difficult time making those decisions to to try and play again for a lot less money than the the injury insurance was worth but obviously it was a, a gamble i i wanted to take and has paid off Chris Canning sent us a message, and I, I want to kind of follow up as well. He, he said, how did it feel playing for Celtic at Tynecastle? And the part I want to add is we can't change other people's minds about certain things. And there are, whether it's a lot, whether it's some, whatever, there, there is a percentage of Hearts supporters that will never forgive Stephen Presley for what they perceive as, as chest beating and thumping the badge when he came back with Celtic. I, I personally think that that's harsh. Uh, I, I know that he regrets doing it and maybe he should have said sorry a little bit quicker. Um, but for what he did for Hearts, that, that's something that we all make mistakes. I, I get that. So with that in mind, when you came back with Celtic, was it just a case of, look, they're paying my wages. I know it's against Hearts. I know they're my team. Let's just get this done. Get the win. Don't make any headlines and, and get out of here. Or did you have any thought about, look, look what happened to Presley. I don't want to be like that. I just think you just have to, to play the game. You play to win. And I'm not one that jumps about celebrating too much. Um, yeah, an important goal, perhaps, or an important time in the, the game. But you know, I'm, I'm fully focused on trying to, to win the game, uh, whoever that may be for. Um, also, uh, a part of me wanted to show the Hearts fans that I was still a good goalkeeper, the one that left and, and was still at a, a good level. So I almost wanted to, to show them. That, that was the, the motivation going back there, was to, to show the Hearts fans how good I still was. and um, not Not so much thinking too much about the game because you just have to, to play the game you can't as a goalkeeper it's, it's quite reactive what happens during the match so um, yeah I, w- I would just concentrate on that I was hoping I would get a, a good reception um, certainly didn't try and do anything to, to wind up any fans but I, I wouldn't do that if it was uh, an Edinburgh derby or, or if it was a a Celtic Rangers match, I just look to, to get on with the game, try and keep the ball out the net and, and play as well as I can. Once you were back playing for Celtic and you played against Hearts on many occasions, um, so you knew you were you were fine and, and over the injury. Did you ever think when playing back at Tynecastle, I, I want to play here again for Hearts before the end of my career? Yeah, it's such a, a great stadium. Um, in even when, when I was at Celtic talking to, to the guys there, the, the stadium, the away stadium that they enjoy playing at is Tynecastle because of the atmosphere it, it can it can create, uh, which well, I don't know if it's not always the best thing because they're, they're really fired up for those games. It, it's such a uh, one that they look forward to that they when, when they do come to Tynecastle, more often than not, they're, they're there to put on a show, which is not always the case and a lot of the away grounds you go to can be quite quiet, but the, the atmosphere and the, the sense of occasion of that type of game at Tynecastle gets gets all the players going. And, and it, as for me, it's it's one of the, the best venues in, in Scotland for, for playing. And yeah, I'm very grateful to have the chance to, to play there. Hopefully the fans get back in as soon as possible with, with everything that's going on. That would be, that would be great to, to get them back in there and have that support again. We'll move on to some quick-fire questions that we've had. But before I do that, you, you mentioned, obviously, we 
great to have the fans back in there. Before we go into the questions, just what's it like to see the fact that just this today actually we've seen it confirmed that there's been more than ten thousand season ticket holders, um, season tickets renewed now at Hearts. What's that like from a from a player's perspective? Is that a big thing to see you'll have that level of support? And I, I know we don't know if they'll physically be in there from day one, but is that a big boost to the likes of yourself and the rest of the team to see that you'll have that backing? Yeah, I think so. Uh, it is for me to, to be thinking that there's there's that amount of uh, people wanting to, to come in and watch us and get behind us and, and really be part of of this season to, to get us back to where we belong. And, um you no, know, we, we really feel, or I really feel, that we're at the start of something new. I know the the players do uh, really looking forward to the challenge and and what lies ahead, and, and that's that, that's great to have that backing that we know that they're going to be there helping us along the way, hopefully as soon as possible. But it is a, a huge boost to know that that, that is uh, that is behind us makes us you know feel very proud and privileged to, to be part of that. Okay, first question is from HMFC France. Now, he says, is he impatient to work with the young goalies at Rickerton? And does he have an idea of who could be the future goalie in Hearts teams from the current young team? Yeah, I've not, not seen much. We're, we're still training in small groups at the moment, so I haven't even seen the, the rest of the, the first team squad yet. Um, but the, the younger goalies will be, be coming up in the next few months and, and joining um, once the, the regulations allow. So... That'll be that'll be good. I, I'm really looking forward to to seeing the guys and trying to to help them in any any way I can. I've I've already spoke to to young Harry and he's he's got my phone number if he needs anything. And um, I know he's he's struggling for for fitness a little bit at the moment, but he's going to be back in the the next month or so and and really look forward to to working with him and and trying to help him become the the new Hearts number one. I knew we were going to to get questions um, about Harry Stone, and if we even if we didn't, I would have asked you about them anyway. So mm-hmm. I was I was reading about Harry, and and he's a local Balerno boy, um, and he wanted to study advanced hires in chemistry and biology, uh, as well as training full time because his dad's a surgeon, and and he's like, should I just go straight into the kind of medicine, or or should I do it when when I'm a bit older, maybe thirty five? So he sounds like a smart kid. Do you think he'll be the smartest at the football club, though? He's probably not got that much competition, to be honest. So every <laughs> chance, um, I don't think there's too many to, to rival that. But yeah, he, he comes across that way. I spoke to him on a couple of occasions now, and yeah, that's that's great to to have that uh, level of, of backup. But hopefully, then he can he can do that over the the next few years and and still be able to. To qualify, I know uh, was when I was at Sunderland, Simon Mingley, he uh, he did a politics degree. He was a very clever boy as well and still managed to, to do that while coming through and, and becoming a, a top-level professional goalkeeper. So that there is still the, the opportunity to, to be able to do that. Um, you know, and, he, and he should do that. That is, that is a, a great thing to, to have. You know, there's not many guys in football that are smart enough to do it, so, so mm. he may as well do it. When you look back on your on your career and you, you'll think about all the games that you played, but there's there's going to come a time for 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 all footballers that you can't play anymore. So how much pride will you get if you're able to help develop someone like Harry Stone and, as you say, make him the uh, the heart's number one? Just like Stephen Presley was able to develop Andy Webster, and on many occasions back in the 80s, where Robbo and Gary McKay and Dave Bowman were 
were kind of helped out by Willie Johnson and Alan McDonald and Sandy Jarden. How big a part would that be or how important would it be for you to say you played a part in Harry's development? Yeah, very much so. Uh, that's what I see my role going back in there now as part of that is to develop the, the younger goalies and help them with, with my experience. Like what I had when I was training with Ante and Gilles and, and Roddy and Miles, they were the they were the guys that were all passing on knowledge and, and now they've these young boys are, are going to have three senior goalkeepers here at the moment that they can um, get advice from and, and, and use to their advantage. And, and hopefully I can I can do that and really help push these young guys on to, to become better goalkeepers and, and improve and, and get in the first team. Because I, as you're saying, you're, you're quite right, I don't have too long left. So if I can, I can do that over the next few years to really develop somebody to, to take that place and save the club going out and, and buying another goalkeeper then then I would take great um satisfaction from, from being able to do that. Um you know along with, with Paul Gallagher, the, the, the goalie coach who's who's working worked with them the last few years to, to really help develop them in any way and I can add anything as well. Connor Preston sent us a, a question about the goalkeeper coaches uh he worked at he asked about Peter Latchford, Malcolm Webster, Jim Stewart. What did you take from these guys and is it are the things that they helped you with that you're already thinking about in terms of what you might do when you you kind of move into the the tutoring and the coaching side? Yeah, absolutely. Um, some some really good coaches you, you mentioned there, and everybody has had an impact at some point in my career. And you know, we were talking earlier about the way goalkeeping's changed and, and how the coaching's had to change along with that. So they've they've had a big change in, in what their role has been as well. Now I've played through that and witnessed that so I think that gives me a a, a good edge and in, in going into the coaching and, and knowing how much that's developed and, and where to take that in the future and, uh, and Jim Stewart's been obviously with the, the coach education the last few years and I'm hoping to, to continue doing badges and, and being a fully ready coach for, for when I, I do finish playing. The, the guys that I've have worked with um, have all been slightly different and, and had different attributes and I think that's the same as what you do is when you're a player you look at other players and certainly now at my stage in my career looking more at coaches and, and how they are and their mannerisms and, and how they go about organising a, a training week is something that I'm looking more and more into so that, that's those those guys I'll, I'll always be there and I could, I could speak to any one of those about coaching and sound things off against them so it's, it's great for me to have that behind me going into the later stages of my career and then into coaching. So after not not wanting to retire you just yet hopefully you can get your 100 consecutive games for Hearts um, for the first time as a, a pro and then in your mid-50s can then retire and allow <laughs> Harry, Harry Stone it's a bit like uh, Prince Charles waiting for the Queen to move on so he can get his chance Harry Stone could be waiting a while Goalkeepers as coaches, okay, Nuno Espirito Santo um, was a, a goalkeeper um, and became a very good coach as an, a manager. Is a goalkeeping coach as far as you're happy to think about or have you thought about, you know what, I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, quite fancy maybe being a manager myself? Yeah, maybe one day. Um, I think certainly to, to start with, I've obviously got the, feel as if I've got the, the knowledge and expertise to move quite easily into the goalkeeping coaching side of things, but from there to, to push on and, and become a, a coach. And I think that is sort of slowly happening within clubs that the goalkeeping coaches are taking more to do with outfield players 
and, and to build that up and, and to steadily move towards management. There, there has been a few goalkeepers that, that have managed to do that uh, and be successful managers. And uh, I don't see any reason why, why that can't be the case. We, we do see the whole pitch from where we are. We do see what everybody else's jobs are. And, and if you are able to, to understand that and then put the put your methods across to players and, and have a, a good way with them, then I, I really think that it's it's very possible that, that goalkeepers can, can move into management and be successful. Twiggy Rascal tweeted saying, um, who did you dread taking shots in training? I heard Pania could hit the ball like a nuke. <laughs> yeah, he could. He was an incredible striker. Um, one that we really didn't see the best of. Uh, at Hearts, he was never fit enough or, or around long enough for for us to really see <laughs> Too much how time he actually George was. <clears throat> yeah, he, he really was an incredible talent, which he showed actually later in his career, moving to, to Serie A and, and how good he, he actually was. We, we really had an absolute gem of a striker who never really fulfilled his, his potential at Hearts, but certainly later on in the, the years afterwards, he, he managed to, to show a few more glimpses of, of how good he really was. Nice question from the Gorgi Roar. What would you consider a success personally between now and whenever you eventually leave Hearts or stop playing? Well, I don't know when that's going to be. So the, the short term one is to, to get back up. Uh, that's what we're all trying to do as, as quickly as possible to to be successful. We've got a semi-final coming up and, and that's as far as we, we really want to look. Um, uh I want to continue playing as long as I possibly can. Um, and I think Hearts have the, the potential to, to get right back up the top end of the league and start qualifying for Europe again. And hopefully we'll have a few more nights that we can we can speak about like what we have been doing earlier on. And mm. that, that has to be the, the aim for, for everybody at the club. Um, I, I really think it's achievable. That's why I've come back to the Hearts, is to, to try and get us back there. Uh, as soon as possible and, and work as hard as we can to, to get there. Last question from me, Craig. Um, Hibernian semi-final. It'll be our only time we'll, we'll play them this season unless we're drawn again in the in the Scottish Cup. That That's a big incentive. Um, and if you beat them, maybe Celtic, the Cup final, just before Christmas, we Christmas present, Cup winners medal against your former club. How does that sound? Uh, yeah, that would be nice, but there's... Uh... A few games to go before that. Um, yeah, the the semi final is is one that is everybody's going to be looking forward to. Hibs are in the, the Premier League. They're, they're going to have been playing more games, so, so they're going to go into the game as favourites as as you would expect. Um, they've already started the season pretty well, so that's, that's going to be tough. But one that we're we're really looking forward to, and it is a it is an aim for us because it, it does come so early in our season. So it's just up to us to, to get ourselves in the best possible shape we can going into to that game and, and give it our best shot. We know what's at stake to try and get in the final. And it's a derby match, anything can happen. But we, we have and always have had a, a good record. Um, I've had a, a good record against them when I've, I've played against them before. So we'll, we'll go into that game and give it our, our very best shot to, to get to a final and, and see what happens if we can get there. 
I know some Hearts fans have said, oh, they've, they're going to be playing for two or three months. Look, we're at the end of, of what? It's the 7th of August, and you're back in, in training. I know it's it's kind of early doors, but there's, Robbie said he wants maybe 9, 10, 11 pre-season games. You're going to have League Cup ties. You're going to play three, probably four league games before you face Hibs. The timing's all right, isn't it? End of October for the Hibs game. You're happy enough with that? Yeah, we'll have we'll play them any time. Play them right now. If we need to playing, <laughs> playing football or playing a semi final, that's not a problem. Um, but we we know it's going to be a, a tough game and, and one that we're going to have to play really well to to come through and win. Uh, and as you say, it is a it is a focus. It is one we're looking forward to and and trying to get the the result to get through. But it's yeah, it's there's plenty of time before before that. We have to concentrate ourselves, get ourselves in the right shape, and and, and use that as the the thing to keep us going between now and then, that's what we're all working towards and that's the one we want to, to all be at full fitness, ready ready to go. Before we let you go, just a quick one from London Hearts. I'm not sure if you're aware of this. Uh, they said, how will it feel to be the Hearts player with the longest competitive career when you play the first competitive game this season? Um, if it's the 6th of October, it will be exactly 18 years since your competitive debut, and Walter Kidd is the current holder. So there you go. There's um there's a, a bit from London Hearts for you. Yeah, I actually knew that. My dad had told me that, so I, I did know that <laughs> this was a, a possibility. And yeah, looking forward to that. That would be great. Um, I'll take any of Beckham's that are going. It's uh, it's been a long career, so it's uh, it's nice to to have that one. I'll I'll look forward to to that and and seeing Walter the next time. Uh, I see them. I'm sure there'll be hearts functions at some point in the future once this is all uh, calmed down that I can I can remind them that I've taken his record off him. Well, thank you for coming on, Craig. Really appreciate it. Looking forward to to having you back at Hearts in a playing capacity and seeing you between between the sticks at the start of the season. Yeah, I can't wait. So that was Craig Gordon uh, chatting to scarves around the funnel. Uh, we got him on. We really appreciated his time, and that was another good chat, Mark. Yeah, I love the fact he said we play Hibs now if we have to. We're just <laughs> we're just desperate to to get back into action. And yeah, he's he's very excited. He's very excited about coming back. Um, I'm sure there were well, I know there were one or two others that were that were keen. But you've, you've got to remember as well. I mean, Craig's a dad of of, of two girls, um, and he doesn't have to to uproot. He doesn't have to move house. Um, it's a club that he supports, and uh, you and I have been kind of we've had this chat before, and, and there are some fans of clubs, including Hearts, that say I'd rather play for this club because they're my club for free than than go there because I hate them and and set myself up for life. That that's fine, that, but you you until you're put in a predicament, people are saying why did he join Celtic or whatever. We all have to do what, as I've said before, we're all the chief executive of our own self preservation society, and I think the way he handled. Um, the, the the moves elsewhere. Remember, he could have been a Rangers player. He was training with them as well. He, he didn't do the chest bumping or, or whatever. It's all down to perception. Some may see, oh, he celebrated a win. If I'm if I'm in a team, doesn't matter who I support. A team's paying my wages and I get a vital win. I'm going to enjoy that as well. 
you you can't live in someone else's shoes and it's, everyone has an, an expert opinion about oh what they would do if they were him put yourself in that predicament and maybe that that changes so i just love the fact that he's excited about coming back you heard what he was saying about there's faces and names and people who are still there from the first time that that he was there he loves that he loves that he's a hearts fan he comes from a hearts family and he's delighted to be back at hearts and we're delighted to have him I did enjoy the fact he said when he came back to Tynecastle, a little bit of him what to sort of prove himself, and almost it almost seemed like yeah, put yourself in that shop window, you know, so Hearts know that you're still a decent keeper, so you can you can still convince them yeah. to come back at some point. But you know, you know what was interesting about that? It wasn't a. I wanted to get it right up them. There was no. there was none of that. I wanted to show the Hearts fans, look, this this is how this is how good I am now. Mm-hmm. Um, I, what he's gone through, and I mean, as he said, sixty forty perhaps against. Well, it was two years out, and you know, we didn't mention it, but you know, exactly, he was coaching at Dumbarton for nothing. He was he was just he was desperate to to get back in. I think there's there's life lessons in there as well. Perseverance and you can be at rock bottom or wherever you are in your life and it might seem like, you know what, I just want to give up. But he could have done that. He could have taken the insurance money, but he was coming to the end of that. He had to make a decision, but he thought, you know what? I'm going to try and get myself fit. I'm going to try and get myself another club and I'm going to try and do my best to to, to get back and play at a high level. And he did that. He did that. So so good on him. I think we can all learn from that. And, and to have him back at the football club, it was always something when he left. I didn't like the fact he had a Celtic badge on. I hated that. I didn't like the fact he had a Sunderland badge on, but I understood that because it gave Hearts a lot of money. Now, for all the things that Romanov did wrong at Hearts, he actually played a blinder there. And and it was interesting to hear him talk. I knew I knew about the Villa story because I reported it at the time, but I didn't know the reason why. And that I thought that was really interesting and that they had the Celtic connections and Romanov, even though he would have got more money if he'd gone to Villa, he sold him to Sunderland because he didn't like the Celtic connections. So, yeah, a lot, a lot of good stuff from Craig. And uh, how, how, I tell you what, there's a story there to be written, isn't there? A few days before Christmas, a hard Celtic Cup final. Craig Gordon, it goes to penalties. And Scott <laughs> Brown steps up, needing to score to keep Celtic in the tie in the, in the spot kick shootout. And, and Craig Gordon saves and, and Hearts win the Cup. And it goes full circle. And we can all dream. Yeah, that's what it's all about. <laughs> we certainly can. That would would certainly make uh, Craig Gordon even more of a legend than he already is around Tynecastle. Talking of legends, I just want to quickly mention um, the fact that uh, Tony Brown's book is now available for pre-order. Of course, Tony very kindly joined us last time out, um, and since then, the book has been the well. It's now available to pre-order. That's um, reminiscing with legends. It comes out November the fourth, but you can pre-order at the website which I'll give just now, which is legends98.bigcartel.com. If it's easier, you can just follow Tony on Twitter, which is at Anthony A. Brown, and you can get all the details from there. So I've already ordered a copy, actually. He convinced me so much last week. Just looking back, just once Tart's books are out, it's like when DVDs were out, when VHSs were out. I was one of those that wanted everyone. I wanted all the. It's just it's a collection that we have. I can imagine Eva Grace growing up and going, "Dad, what's all this rubbish? I've got no interest in this whatsoever." Well, tough. It's it's not about you. It's about <laughs> me and the collection that I've got. And, and good luck to Tony with that. Um, love the front cover and the foreword by Gilles Rousset. And it was nice to hear some of the stories. And I'm sure there's there's many more in the book. So yeah, I'll uh, I'll look forward to. Um, well, I have to find out if he's going to ship to uh, to the United States. 
There you go. For I'm the sure he price. will for you, Mark, because he says he might oh. even have to get some questions, get some answers from you, give you some questions before he's got the final the final print. No, the fact the fact that he's self-publishing as well um, is 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 a great story. Is is it's a gamble. Um, that's why he's hopeful that, that as many people as possible will will buy the book because it's not easy these days um, trying to make make ends meet. So good luck to him with that project, and I look forward to to hearing the the stories from. You're right, the the legends of of '98, but we had a legend on today of our own in 2006, and I love the fact to keep the book pun alive that the next chapter of of Craig Gordon's career um, is is back at Hearts and. Selfishly, I hope that this is the final chapter of Craig Gordon's um, kind of car- playing career. Certainly, and that this is this is where he started, and and to come full circle, it'd be nice if if this is where it ends as well. And and uh, if he can do, if he can leave or f- finish playing with Hearts and leave Harry Stone in a position that he is just hand over the gloves, he becomes the new number one and he's ready, then I think that's absolutely perfect because I don't think there's anybody better for, for young Harry to, to learn from um, than, than Craig Gordon. Certainly, indeed. Uh, so we'll be back next week with more Scarves Around the Funnel. Uh, thank you for tuning in. You can follow us on Twitter at Around the Funnel or you can email if you want to get in touch podcast at scarvesaroundthefunnel.co.uk uh, until next time, though, goodbye. In the circle of life Is the wheel of fortune If the leap I fail Is the band of hope To Yeah.